Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow Because we do think we can make it better. And uh, it's not us, of course. It's not us who are making it better, but it is. But uh, it is also uh, Christ in us that makes the difference. And that's why we are very excited about uh, the world we live in and the kind of difference that I believe that we can make. And we... uh, have been having wonderful guests on our show uh, to give us new perspectives on, uh, on, on how we live in the world around us and uh, how we make that, how we can make that happen. Um, And uh, so welcome to the catch and uh, blog talk radio. I hope that you are uh, getting the catch daily. If you aren't, uh, please go to uh, uh, catchjohnfisher.com and sign up because you'll hear something fresh uh, from me that I write every day, five days a week, and uh, you can become a part of our community. We, that's really what we are. We are an online community. We even have church on Sunday nights, and uh, that's live at Facebook. You can find out more about that at catchjohnfisher.com. We've got a lot of things going on, and uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, uh, I'm very excited tonight about uh, our guest because um, our our guest is, well, I think he's the youngest guy I know that has as many degrees that he has. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, obviously a brilliant brilliant man is going to uh, talk to us about culture and our calling and uh, a number of other things that he is interested in. Dr. Richard Park is Assistant Professor of Theology and Ethics at Vanguard University. Prior to coming to Vanguard, he was a senior lecturer in theology at Biola University and an academic consultant for the John Templeton Foundation. Uh, He's published a number of books. Uh, His latest book, Constructing Civility, The Human Good in Christian and Islamic Political Theologies. Well, that piques my interest. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in our show. And uh, uh, Richard has also uh, obtained his doctor in philosophy in theology from the University of Oxford and completed two master's degrees at uh, education and philosophy at Biola University. And uh, also, my goodness, uh, a bachelor's in history at University of California at Berkeley. So this guy has uh, gotten around 
and he's going to be a fun guest. So, uh, Rich, welcome to uh, the Catch Blog Talk Radio. Thanks so much, John. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, yeah. So it looks like you were kind of a prof- prof- must have been a professional student there for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I certainly um, took some time uh, to, to to get through it all, um, but I, I certainly felt it was part of how God has designed me, and um, I'm a thinker right. by nature, I guess, in, in, a, in a big way. And so, um, yeah, it, it continues to play out, I suppose, in my in my role today. Fantastic. Um, and uh, you are still at, at uh, Vanguard University, is that yes, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, how how are you enjoying that? Oh, thoroughly. Um, so grateful uh, to to find this my academic home. Um, uh, it was about five years ago now that uh, my wife and I had uh, left Oxford, England, um, with a doctorate and looking for the right place. And for a couple of years, there was quite a bit of a wilderness, uh, to be honest. Um, some people refer to refer to it as adjunct hell. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It was tough, mm-hmm. uh, part-timing at different places, but um, always trusting that the Lord had a call in my life to be in um, in this role. And um, then just a couple of years later, um, quite literally almost, bumped into the president of our university over at USC, uh, University of California. And anyway, long story short, um, that began a conversation. And um, no less than a year later, I ended up uh, – with a with an offer here at the at the university and so yeah it's just it's a wonderful place mostly because it's um a place where deep learning happens but it but we are also very concerned about the power of the spirit and so how do you do both right heart and mind and um and i Mm. love i love bridging those kinds of uh spaces as best i can yeah that's great um i have uh I have spoken there uh, at, in mm. chapel on a few occasions mm-hmm. and okay. and gotten to know some of the professors. Now, it's been a few years, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I have to tell you that that was one thing that impressed me that I, I was surprised about. Because when I first went there, I hadn't heard about Vanguard. And I thought, well, there's mm-hmm. this little, this little uh, Christian college over here somewhere uh, by the fairgrounds, you know, and that's, that's mm-hmm. all yeah. I knew. Right. And uh Sure. But I got into some of those classes and met some of the professors, and uh, I was I was pleasantly surprised at how connected they were, how how they were thinking about deeply about the culture they live in and the world around them. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, I always appreciate that, especially in a Christian institution where sometimes uh, it's it's easier to try and escape from the world around us and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. form, you know, you know, form our own little private place. And, uh, and that, yeah. that, so I'm glad you're there. That's fantastic. Um, well, thanks. John. Uh, and we'll have to have you back yeah. sometime. That'd be nice. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm, uh, I'd love to come. Um, but uh, what I really want to hear about is another uh, project beyond the teaching that you were involved in. And you founded this organization, and and I think you are directing it. Um, it's called the Renaissance, and uh, I want you to tell us uh, about that, and how did it come about, and uh, exactly what what is happening, and what would you like to see happen in the future with with the Renaissance? Yeah, sure. I could. Um, well, 
really, in in a nutshell, um, the Renaissance is about helping people find their calling. Um, and the reason we think that's important is because, as as I like to say, it, you know, in theology, of course, we believe that people will eventually believe certain things and then become a certain way. So if we believe certain right things, we will probably go in that direction. If we believe that eating healthy is important, then we probably will tend to go in that direction most likely, not always, mm-hmm. um, and so on and so <laughs> forth. So we tend to become what we believe. But I, I also think there's a huge way in which we become what we behold, meaning I can teach my students, you know, hopefully God-honoring theology for 16 weeks, but they can go back to the dorm room after acing my final exam and watch something on Instagram or TikTok or social media for 16 seconds and nearly undo everything they learned the whole semester. Um, And so we really don't just become what we believe. We also become what we behold. And so if if what we're both beholding is constantly in front of us on our screens and in different places, then why don't we create beautiful culture for people to behold so that we can become beautiful people? And so Hmm. that's the heartbeat behind the Renaissance is that we can get everyone from fashion designers to film, film producers, which we have on our board um, to to just an athlete who um, demonstrates Christ-like sportsmanship. I think we will truly um, shape a culture to be beautiful because, you know, it's at the end of the day, John, you and I can, do radio shows and, and, and give a talk here and there, which I believe you and I call to do, and we, we there's a space for that and there's a need for that. But, um, you know, someone like, let's say, Steph Curry, who's on the Golden State Warriors, you know, he gives a two-minute post-game interview and talks about how he played his heart out for God. Somehow I'm convinced that, you know, millions of 14-year-olds are going to be more influenced by that short, you know, Instagram story than all the talking that you and I will do. I don't think what you and I do aren't important. Of course not. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. Um, But it's both. It's both the truth that you and I discuss, but it's also the beauty and the goodness that people see on on media. And so so the Renaissance is about Mm. that. It's about truth, goodness, and beauty, um, a flowering of culture, and getting people into their calling so that they can bring maximal glory to God through culture. Wow. That Mm. sounds fantastic. Um, what are you doing to help help make this happen, at least so far? Yeah. So a lot of things, different things we're doing, um, the most recent of which is we just launched an online course called The Blueprint. And um, it's tied to a book that I've written. And it's basically a series about eight weeks of lecture. It's only about 20, 30 minutes of content with some follow-up questions. But what we've taken is uh, my 16-week class at Vanguard, broken it down to um, – eight weeks and only again about 20 30 minutes of um, video content so it's interactive um so we we're offering that as a way of trying to help people find their calling um it's based off my calling class here called discerning your calling mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and um and also so that's one thing the other thing we're doing is um some lots of different workshops at churches speaking engagements all centered around calling we we go to different um we get invited to different uh, colleges and chapels and whatnot but um, in addition to that, we also believe in the importance of character, obviously. One can fulfill their calling but lose their character, and that would be like mm-hmm. sort of like the First Corinthians 13 where, you know, you can do all these great things, but if you don't have love, right? Um, and so right. We, we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen a lot of successful um, Christians, whether in ministry or in all sorts of different circuits, and um, just kind of burning and crashing because of their character. And so what we do is we do a lot of – we focus on mentoring. Um, I just happen to know, John, uh, uh, as I like to say, uh, uh, you know, a good number of uh, 
some dozens and dozens of, uh, you know, folks in their 60s or 70s. I happen to know a ton of folks in their 20s. And hmm. myself being in my 40s, I kind of have put it upon myself to try to connect as many 65-year-olds with 25-year-olds. Um, yeah. Simply because there's so much wisdom to be to be gleaned um, and given from from one generation to the next. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, my, my college students feel like they have to figure it out all on their own. And so um, so mentoring is a, is a huge component of what we do as well. Cool. Well, we're going to – I love that thought, and we're going to get back to that a little bit later. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I'd like to hear just a, a, a brief – maybe a brief definition uh, I, mm-hmm. I love the I love the the values you've chosen: truth, goodness, and beauty. And uh, maybe if you just give us a little bit more uh, of what each sure. one of those means and could mean to us yeah. in our own life. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think of the story of um, of William Wilberforce and Josiah Wedgwood. So we're talking a couple hundred years, nearly um, in the uh, British Empire. William Wilberforce, some, many people would know the story. He's uh, the gentleman who says, I found mm-hmm. God, or rather, God has found me. And then he goes to his mentor, um, Pastor John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, the hymn Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he goes to Pastor John and says, uh, Pastor John, I found God, or rather, God has found me, and I want to serve him in full-time ministry. I want to be like you, Pastor John. Um, and, and John, uh, wisely, I think, said to young William, um, William, you are, you are a member of the Parliament of England um, you are already in full-time ministry. Stay right where you are and bring God glory. And mm. so he continues on, and he, he puts forth a bill to abolish the slave trade in the British Empire. Um, and it takes him, gosh, if I'm not mistaken, um, decades. I mean, I was at 26. I don't know. I won't get the numbers wrong, mm. but uh, he, literally decades of his life to pass this bill. Four days before his, um, he died, on his deathbed, the bill got passed, and, the, and uh, slavery was abolished in the British Empire. Now, folks would point to not just William Wilberforce as a single cause of that, you know, of the uh, end of slavery, but his good friend, Josiah Wedgwood, said, William, what you're doing in Parliament is important, but what if we partnered together? So Wedgwood, many of us actually know his, um, his nice ceramic pottery that still exists today. It's very fine china. Oh, my. And, um, huh. Yeah, so it's the same Wedgwood. And so Josiah Wedgwood. says to William, yes, yeah, the Wedgwood uh, yeah, the, um, uh, mm-hmm. company. And um, Josiah says to William, uh, William, if we want to change the laws of a nation, we have to change the hearts of the people. And so what they would do is about a dozen of them, they later became known as the Wedgwood Circle and the Clapham Circle, but they, they would invite their wealthy, slave-owning Christian friends to their mansion in Clapham, London, and they would actually fill their dinner plates with food already. And so when they arrive, they're just these 12 folks are just kind of Hannah Moore and a few others. They're just kind of mingling with them, and a, as they have conversations and just sort of you know, uh, in, in, in a winsome, wise sort of way, provoking them on questions about slavery and the morality and so forth. But by the end of the dinner conversation they were having, having they would look at the bottom of their plates once they finished eating, and there was on each of those plates an uh, image of an African, man, an African man in chains and the words, am I not a man and a brother? Oh and through <laughs> that avenue of changing the people's hearts, then changing the laws, was this work done? And so what we like to say at the Renaissance is, yes, we need the Wilberforces who are speaking truth in Parliament and other places, but we also need the Josiah Wedgwoods 
who are doing the beauty piece and, and, and moving ah. people's hearts. And, um, and so as we like to say, we need analysts uh, of truth, but we also need artists in the area of beauty. And lastly, we need advocates in the area of goodness. Um, and so, um, so nowadays everyone's talking about, well, we're a think tank, and others are saying, no, we're a think and do tank. And what we like to say is the think part is the truth. The do part is the goodness. But until we mm. get these good thoughts and good deeds reverberating, as it were, and resonating through films and fashion and song and sports and all the rest, then we would like to call ourselves a think, do, and make tank, where we um, try to triangulate those three things and, and bring, mm. bring it home that way. And so, so that's kind of the heartbeat behind that. Wow. That is splendid. I love that. Um what was that on the on the bottom of the plate? <laughs> yeah, it was an time. African man in chains. Yeah, and the words, "Am I not a man and a brother?" Am I not a man and a brother? Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, so, uh, boy, you know, it seems to me that uh, these things that you are doing are almost the antithesis to what the rest of the culture is doing right now and mm, and mm. and and the message that messages that are coming at us uh day mm. after day uh mm. are are almost opposite wouldn't you agree well you know john as we we're just chatting here and this is right now, as I'm thinking about this, I was thinking about the term here, you know, what Wilberforce and Wedgwood were doing was trying to fight physical, actual slavery in that sense. And, and perhaps there is a sort of cultural slavery. Um, and you're right. Perhaps we're trying to do a work to undo the cultural slavery that we see um, where, where folks are wrapped up um, in the messages and the images that they're getting on social media and then the anxiety mm-hmm. and depression that comes along with it. And so how can we create the kind of culture that's freeing not enslaving. And, um, and this is why, I mean, I don't know, this will probably be another, I'd love to come on and talk about Kanye West's new album, Jesus is King, uh, someday. Mm. But I actually think that some folks like mm. Tori Kelly and Lecrae and, and maybe, maybe even now Kanye, I don't know your take on him, but I, at the very least, it's getting people to have the conversation. Um, and uh, as I'm listening to the radio sometimes, I'm thinking, you know, it's great that you'll hear some of some of these songs by someone like Lecrae or, you know, Switchfoot or Take Your Pick. And they're, they're one out of, you know, 100 songs played on the radio. And the other 99 mm-hmm. being, as you say, in the very other direction. Um, mm-hmm. But can you imagine a day in which it's quite the reverse? And I think that's what we're looking living for. That's what we're laboring for. And, in fact, there used to be a day when, as I like to say in one of my blogs, um, you know, Bach was Jay-Z, if you will. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, Sebastian Johannes Bach was the cutting-edge artist of his day. Um, and, and, and that's because, yeah. as our, our mutual friend and my mentor, Dave Horner, likes to say, there was a day that we didn't – you know, people say if you're ultra-conservative, you can't beat them, leave them. And if you're ultra-liberal, if you can't beat them, join them. But as Dave says, the key is to beat them. And back in the day, we used to be the ones who were producing the best culture, and so we couldn't be ignored. We were producing culture itself, and so there was there was there was a very uh, there was a mainstay of Christianity and faith in the public square, but uh, but but that's gone by the wayside now. So what we're trying to do is trying to you know pray our hardest and work our best to to reverse that. 
Wow. You know, Rich, we have a we have an online radio station, and uh, we mm. we're calling it we call it Music That Matters Radio, and mm. uh, um, we're going to have to get together because uh, I want to get your take on on what you're talking about is. What if we had a radio station that played this kind of music, almost only this, mm-hmm. and uh, mm. uh, in so many different ways? Uh, mm-hmm. We also, you know, that that gets very exciting. So uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're gonna have to <laughs> we're gonna have to get together. Yeah, honored, yeah I'd love that. Yeah, <laughs> I believe in it. Um, I am. Uh, I want to spin. Yeah, boy, time flies, um, mm. but. I am fascinated. I know it's not the only book you've written, but uh, the one in your bio about uh, mm. Christian uh, Christian political uh, theology, uh, um, the uh, mm-hmm. constructing civility, which is also mm-hmm. something that we need and don't have right now, and the mm. human good in Christian and Islamic political theologies. Um, you can't, that sounds like a... Uh, you m- might might even have a hard time putting that in in a few words, but uh, mm-hmm. can you give us an idea what what you're talking about in that book? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, to be honest, when I started off the, um, on this project, it was part of my doctoral work, but I, um, I I went to Oxford realizing that I knew very little about the second largest faith group in the world, which is Islam. And um, and oddly enough, I knew almost as little, if not less, uh, about our Catholic brothers and sisters. And so what I did for the four years there is um, decided to read it and research as much as I can on Islam and on Roman Catholicism, specifically with regard to their political theology, meaning their theology Mm. of politics. How should uh, we as Muslims or we as Christians be involved in in politics? and so that was my heartbeat. It was I, I just <laughs> I didn't want to be ignorant about um, you know some four billion people and how they live life you know here on mm-hmm. earth. And so and so um, that was the heartbeat behind it. And um, the, the 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 thesis um, is really along these lines that both Muslims as well as Catholic Christians and even atheists they will all claim to say that uh, they're trying to build the common good. But I, as I looked and looked, there there doesn't seem to be much of a definition of what that common good is, um, and and therefore I, my argument was that uh, they're all kind of claiming a different sort of common good. And so how common is that good really? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so I, instead I suggested, well, what if we focus in on not the common good but the human good? And by that I didn't necessarily mean you know that if we just try hard enough we'll we'll find that we're all good people. Um, what I meant by the human good is what. Um, Going all the way back to Aristotle, he says, look, there's a there's a good of a hammer, which is to hammer and nails into wood. You know, there's a good of a flute, which is to play certain sounds. So perhaps there's a good of a human. There is a telos or an mm. end or a purpose, a way in which humans function. And so I thought if we can have agreement across Islamic and Christian traditions about how the human is made to function, maybe mm. we can have conversations um, about a, a political peace um, not based per se on scripture, uh, because neither of us are going to accept the other scriptures anyway, but rather on just looking at the human person, how we're designed. So take, for example, you know, um, the the Islamic practice of polygamy in certain contexts in certain countries. Um, 
uh, not all Muslims by, by, by any stretch hold to that anymore. But, um, but based on the human good of being relational, we are by nature relational beings. We don't have to quote something at Muslims saying you should drop that doctrine. We can simply look to the inherent relationality of human beings, the fact that we deserve and desire equal human relationships that we can argue against something like polygamy. So it's, um, it's, it's a rather academic work, but um, I, 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 I did it because I mainly wanted to um, perhaps you know, demonstrate for myself and maybe model for others Christians that rather than mm-hmm. you know watching only our news station and you know arguing yeah. out of the you know uh, corner of Facebook you know we can maybe reach across see what what kind of common ground we can build and and find uh, um, you know find vocabulary to do that across traditions. What uh, in your study? What, what were what were you were there some things that you were surprised to find out? Uh, yeah, quite actually. So. Um, um, so maybe I'll share something that's a bit more um, personal, and that is, um, as I was writing my um, my, my my dissertation, I, I became good friends with a friend uh, with a gentleman named Nazir, and he and I, and his wife Azrifa, my wife, we all became very good friends. Turns out we were exactly the same age, his wife and my wife, and uh, Nazir and I. And so, anyways, we started hanging out a lot, and Nazir was. Um, Sent over by uh, a country which, which I won't name, um, basically to be trained to be the next um, Grand Mufti of of that country, and so he was on government sponsorship. Um, and um, interestingly, through the course of his work, he actually began struggling with his faith. Um, hmm. um, and so we um, struck a, a great friendship. We continue to to this day. And what I learned from my side is that. Here's Nazir, honestly, probably one of the nicest guys I personally know, and I'm including Christians on that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Just, in, in, just a man of integrity, loves his wife, his kid, just, just, just good man, um, uh, and and yet a Muslim. And so, what I began to think is, wait a second, maybe everything that I've been sold as you know truth uh, on this side of the pond, you know, looking at <laughs> these news stations and so on and so forth. Um, I began to question that quite a bit, and I learned that there were dozens and hundreds, in fact, uh, of, of top-notch, very well, widely respected Muslim scholars, both Shia and Sunni, who were very peaceable, um, that Sharia law isn't exactly what most people think Sharia law is. And I mean, I can go into it and all, but uh, mm-hmm. I think I just began to understand, humanize the other rather than demonize them. Wow. And uh, that that alone for me, did wonders to my heart. And sure, when I came back to the States, I would have a lot of argument, arguments with my Christian friends who continued to demonize, you know, the Muslim other. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I just don't think that's going to help us in any way. And so um, it was more of a personal lesson, if you will, that I that I gained um, most val- valuably from, from my time there. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we had uh, a couple of amazing guests uh, on this show Oh, about a year ago, who created a version of the Quran that uh, that has uh, uh, biblical quotes throughout it, and mm, it's, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 in other words, it, it was um, uh, it was it was it was connecting. In other words, all those much of much of the Bible uh, could be connected. 
even with mm-hmm. the grant. And, uh, yeah. and that whole idea of, you know, we're so bent on, on trying to find out what is wrong with everybody else. Mm. Um, what I've, I've always thought I, I, that worldview really doesn't help. I don't think what if, what if we decided to find out what was right about everybody else and mm. therefore that would give us a place to connect and a place to start, uh, at least right. a conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, don't absolutely. you think, don't you agree with that? Oh, I'm, I'm with you on yeah. that, John, hundred percent. I, I, I do believe that doctrinal differences make a difference and I, I, I yeah. don't, um, hold to some sort of, you know, uh, hodgepodge. Everyone, um, everyone all ultimately is the same. So I think differences do make a difference, but I agree with you that we need to start with what we have in common befriend the other, genuinely befriend the other, not for the sake of, because one day I'm going to share the gospel with you, but genuinely take interest in them as a person, as right. a friend. Right. And natu- naturally, through the course of friendship, deep, deep conversations will occur. Um, and there is the place, I think, for sharing one's faith. But I agree. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. quickly, we, we go to the political extremes and, and just begin to, uh, just begin to uh, demonize. Do you think that might be, uh, some of that might be out of fear? That, that we have my my sure. wife has a theory that you know that that we have to be a hundred percent right all the time mm. and uh, mm. you know and, and that that's out of fear because what if we're not you know um, yeah right <laughs> absolutely yeah um uh a lot of sociologists have pointed out how uh, because of the modern society we live in um a, a natural effect of modernization is pluralization there's multiple faiths and lifestyles and worldviews side by side and um and the result of pluralization is oftentimes a deep confusion about what one believes and doubt and fear and insecurity and i think you're exactly right a reaction to the modern life has been uh this this uh, hunkering down in our corner and tribalism um but uh but this is the most opportune time as one sociologist put it, we live in a grand age of apologetics. And this sociologist wasn't a Christian apologist by any stretch. Uh, in mm. fact, they were secular. But uh, as my mentor, um, Dr. Guinness, points out, we are um, now not only um, called upon but invited to speak our, um, our deepest mm. convictions uh, as persuasively and winsomely as we can. And going back to the Renaissance, I think, um, as creatively and artfully as we can, um, because truth without story or truth without beauty stands naked, but truth clothed in in mm. beauty and truth clothed in narrative, I think that's when it's best received. And so I do believe in that. Wow. Oh gosh, our time is our our time is up, and uh, I can tell I'm going to have to. I was just going to have to have you back uh, because mm. there's and so much more. Sure. More I'd love to talk about, but just at least just one more really quick question, because it's really important to us here at The Catch, is that uh, we've had a lot of millennials uh, come our way, and we didn't really even seek this. Um, they It just kind of has happened, and uh, I think it may be because we talk a lot about grace, and and we, uh, we're, we're open-minded, and, and we allow lots of questions and uh, mm. you know, it, and so it seems to be a, a place where uh, 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 
millennials are happy uh, to come. And, um, and, and you made a connection earlier in our conversation between the, the 65 year olds and the, the 25 year olds. And the, um, mm-hmm. uh, is that still, is that still there? And, you know, I got a little concerned when I saw recently this okay boomer thing uh, mm-hmm. uh, publicized. I don't know whether you noticed that, but, and it, and it looks like it's kind of trying to drive a wedge in between uh, what we felt was a real connection. Um, but I, I don't know. Uh, I'd love to have you, you know, maybe speak to that if you think it's important, but I, I'm, I'm concerned. I, I'd love to have you talk about the positive aspects of, um, of millennials and boomers and, and, and mm-hmm. what we can, what we can possibly do for each other and do together. Mm. Yeah, that's, um, a great and important question. It's a big question. Uh, my, yeah. my couple of small small thoughts on it would be, one is um, you, you speak about the redemptive aspects of millennials. I, I do think there's something beautiful about um, my, my college students. I'll just speak to that generation because they're kind of great tail end of millennials uh-huh. coming to Gen Z. But um, I, I just think that um, I look at so many of them who actually are theology majors, let's say, and they have this deep concern for truth, which is which is beautiful. Yet they're also incredibly creative, and 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 usually when someone is uh, an anal- an analyst, <laughs> when someone is really mm-hmm. good on truth and rationality, they tend to lack the creativity, and vice versa. Artists tend not to be the you know systematic theologians, right? Um, but but here we have a generation of folks who do believe in the importance of objective truth, yet fully engage in a postmodern mode. And that's an incredible combination, I think, that we can um, find redemptive for the kingdom. And so, um, so that's one thing I would like to speak to, you know, uh, uh, speak of with respect to the millennials. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then uh, the only other thing is I, I love that you're focusing on grace. I, I, that's so, that's, that's everything in the kingdom, isn't it? I, I, mm-hmm. I see this one mm-hmm. meme on Facebook, uh, and it's from it's from a, a boomer, and you know it's something to the effect where there's on the on the left hand picture there's a couple of people who are really upset, you know, um, and uh, you know it's just a picture, you know, and they say, you know, why doesn't OK Boomer offend you, you know, and then yeah. on the right side would be the response, well, because I'm not a snowflake, and I I just don't know that that we're sort of demonizing <laughs> the other again there. <laughs> and, and but here's what it's also not paying attention to. It's not paying attention to the fact that the that, that the boomer was once a 20 year old who was also somewhat easily offended, insecure about their uh, about their social standing, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And there are differences, mm-hmm. sure, because and I think a largely uh, um, uh, uh, different effects. Well, we won't get into the root causes, but um, it's unfair because when you're 65, you're very comfortable on your own skin, or you should be. And when you're 20 or 15, you're not, and that's natural. And so I think that mm-hmm. meme, of, as most memes go, um, doesn't do justice and account for the fact that, you know, I mean, I'm in my 40s, and I'm barely now getting over uh, uh, critical remarks I sometimes receive on student evaluations. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they still affect me. Um, <laughs> Some of my older colleagues don't even read them anymore. They don't care, you know, and folks younger than me are obsessed with student evals. But there's something to be said about age and wisdom and stability that comes. And um, and that's why we I think so when I assign the mentorship assignment for my students, most of them will say at the beginning, I don't even know anyone 20 years older than me. And they will almost want to drop my class. 
But at the end of having to meet with their mentor six times, they will say, it's my favorite assignment. Our millennials wow. are yearning. They're yearning for this kind of a relationship. They just don't know it until they in, in, uh, in, enter into one. And so we, we pray and do that work here as well. And so I'm, I'm so glad to hear it from you. How about how could we as, as, as boomers um, help this along? Um, mm. Are there any practical, uh, practical ways in which we might be able to, uh, uh, you know, enhance these relationships? Yeah. Well, I, I think one thing is, um, you know, I think there's a fascination with someone like Jordan Peterson, even though he is the 60-year-old, let's say. I don't know his age, but um, – uh, and that's because they really do, or they are drawn to wisdom. And I, he, he's not the wisest man in the world, but he certainly has a lot to offer. And so they're they're drawn. My students are deeply drawn to someone like Peterson, regardless of his age. So I think um, what tends to work quite well are these podcasts where there is the the junior person in the room, so to speak, and then the senior host. And um, you know, I think mm. of uh, Peter and Baird um, Bayan, I forget his last name. I think it is. Um, you know, anyway, there's these models of you know the the 55-year-old and the 30-year-old and the in the room together and these podcasts where – so my point being, mm. go to where the attention is and then team up across generations, and that's ineffective because then we can get the creative and the logistics and all of that going strongly um, with the substantive and the, the wisdom piece. Um, and, of course, it's mutual. We, we learn from both. But I, I think modeling it um, is, is probably – but we got to go to where they are. Uh, we can't yeah. expect them to just come and read this 500-page book because that's what a wise person would do, right? Um, right. No, we right. go do where they are and then draw them in and and then get them to read yeah. the 500-page book. <laughs> yeah, well, that's 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 it, and that that's why we're on the internet because I think that's where a lot of them are. Yeah. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Uh, what a challenge. Yeah. Well, Rich, this has been fantastic. Um, I I really appreciate I appreciate what I have learned in the last half hour, and. Uh, I do hope that uh, you'll come back and, and talk to us again sometime soon. Well, it's such an honor, John, and um, and I re- appreciate your friendship with me personally. Um, I, I know you have done so much for your generation, and the fact that you're continuing to wanting to pass that on to ours and the next, I mean, that that is what that is what it's all about, and that's missing yeah. so deeply in our modern life. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks for the encouragement, and uh, – and you keep doing what you're doing, and uh, and let's get together soon, and um, and, and do uh, uh, we'll talk about uh, getting me back to Vanguard. I really would love to do that. Sounds great. <laughs> would be great. Yeah. Thanks, John. Okay. Again, we okay, appreciate Rich. it. Thank you, All right, brother. Bye bye. Bye bye. Wow. How about that? That was cool. Richard Park. Founder, director of the Renaissance, truth, goodness, and beauty, connecting with the culture. Oh boy, there was so much. You got to go back over that one more time. All right. We'll see you next time on the Lock Talk Radio. God bless. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? 
At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.